oh man, I can't believe I answered this question that way. Mm, My pitch sucked. How did I miss that in my quote? Oh, I totally suck at selling. If this sounds familiar, congratulations on being self-aware of your inner critic like I am of mine. But before you write off your self-critical talk as unhelpful, consider this. Not all self-criticism is bad. Yep, you heard that right. In fact, listener, that kind of self-awareness may just be your ticket to personal satisfaction and professional success. Stay tuned as we share the tips and tactics for turning your negative Nazi into your business advantage. Welcome to Sticky Brand Lab Podcast, where we bridge the gap between knowledge and action by providing you with helpful information, tips, and tools from entrepreneurs and other experts so you can quickly and easily jumpstart your side business. We're your hosts. I'm Lori Vida, and this is my co-host, Nola Boyer. Hello. (laughs) Hello. I hope you're doing well, Nola. Super duper. (laughs) Here's a question for you. Okay. How often would you say your negative NOLA voice, that one in your head, Mm -hmm. makes unhelpful, if not outright disparaging remarks about you or something you've said or done? Well, a better question to ask is when is she not? (laughs) (laughs) Because it seems to be going on all the time. Good point. Good point. It's like having a devil and an angel on your shoulder, you know, if you're envisioning it. But that one is, yeah. And the devil's just talking a lot louder. Exactly. (laughs) Well, it's easy to assume that negative self-talk is just destructive and undermines your self-esteem. There's evidence to say that that's not actually the case. In fact, there's a reason we have an inner critic. And the comments that it makes can help us to focus so that you can choose to take actions in the right direction, which can lead to personal growth and career or business success. Who knew? It started that we were planning on doing this show because we understood that for aspiring entrepreneurs or people who are just stepping into the role, that there's so much judgment about getting started. And we had that from our personal experience. So we thought it would be helpful if we could come up with some steps or tactics that people could use to reduce that criticism. Because like my own personal experience, I had always looked at it as a negative behavior. But when we were doing the research, I was surprised at how much is out there that talked about it being helpful. Yes, that research is fascinating. In fact, we learned that sometimes that inner critic can actually help you become the best version of yourself, which sounds totally crazy considering it can be so mean. (laughs) Exactly. But that's one of the reasons why we wanted to discuss this topic. When I was studying in my graduate work in the mental health field, we had this cycle, if you will, of the think, feel, what we refer to as do, which is your behavior. So think, feel, do. And it was a chicken and egg kind of situation. What comes first, what you feel and then what you think about it, or do you think about it and then you have the feeling Mm -hmm. and then of course your action is an outcome of that. Mm -hmm. Well, the key to managing all of that was considered to be awareness. 
the way to get to awareness was to be mindful of your thoughts and feelings. And when you are, you're less likely to be at their mercy. So you're less likely to act automatically, but instead act with kind of a mindfulness, I Mm -hmm. guess is a good way to say it. In other words, your words don't own us. Exactly. But you nailed the key word here, and that's mindful. Could you explain what you mean by that? For me, mindfulness is really about being in the present moment. From my experience, I use mindful meditation. I also listen to professionals talk about mindfulness. I think unconsciously, when we're alone with our own thoughts, we're either rehashing something that happened in the past. And by the past, I mean, it could go back Mm -hmm. to your childhood or we're envisioning almost a worst case scenario, sometimes a best case scenario, but of the future. So we're either in the past or the future, and very rarely are we in the present moment. And so what ends up happening is we have these thoughts, we have these feelings, we have these actions that are automatic, and they feel out of our control. But when we're mindful, when we're practicing being aware in the present moment, we're not at their mercy, as you pointed out. We're aware of the thoughts as they're arising, and we can slow down and be aware of the feelings. And then we can make a different decision about the behaviors that we're about to take. And all of that is to be done, I would say, without judging them as being right or wrong, but more just kind of being aware of them. So that's how I would describe mindfulness. I know you meditate. So how did you discover mindfulness? I couldn't necessarily pinpoint it because it become more and more mainstream. But I will say that there was actually one author that kind of brought it home as far as how to practice it. That's Michael Allen Singer. He wrote that you don't have to necessarily move your body, but in your person, you just lean back and that creates a mental space between you and your thoughts. And you're able to then observe your thoughts because I don't know about you, but my mind is constantly swirling. So I can lean back and realize my thoughts are swirling and then step into another mindfulness practice. And that's where I just try to listen. I live in a rural environment, so I'm able to open the windows or just step outside and tune in and see what I can hear. Birds, the wind, a car going by in the distance a squirrel in the leaves over in the woods, and it becomes very, very still. And then if thoughts do come by, I'm able to really notice them as thoughts. I think you're bringing up some excellent points here. I know that there are different ways to meditate and mindfulness practice that I use is about tuning in or feeling the breath. So you can tune into sound, you can tune into your lungs or your stomach expanding out as you're breathing. The point of this is that when thoughts come in, I'm not judging them as a negative or a positive, I'm just aware of them. And that kind of is like a grounding, if you will. And the key here for anyone who thinks that maybe they can't meditate, one is to know that there are different kinds. It's kind of finding that one that works for you. The other is science has shown that you can get the advantages of meditation in as little as a minute a day. And that you don't even have to do it every day. You just have to do it periodically even. So 
getting started. I think I love our saying, we have small steps, big effects. Meditation is one of those key. Totally applies. Now, one of the things that I think is hard to understand is how do you do this without judgment? And I was trying to look for an example of that. Mm -hmm. And one that I came across was an analogy that Ram Das had done, and he's written many books, and he had the description using a tree. So imagine, if you will, listener, that it's the fall and you're walking in your neighborhood or you go to a part of the country in which the leaves are changing color. And as you're strolling, you're recognizing the beauty of nature around you, the trees that are changing, the leaves, how the different colors appear on different trees than other trees. And you're just absorbed in it without any criticism. You're not particularly looking at a branch and saying that's too gnarly, it's bent in weird ways, the tree is not perfectly symmetrical, and the things that make it interesting are the things that stand out. That's an example of not having a judgment, but Mm -hmm. just an appreciation. And the goal is to be able to do that for ourselves as well as for other people, that we're just open-minded. We can look at the beauty in nature and we can see that in ourselves as well, and we can see it in others. I love that. One of the things that I wanted to take a moment to do is to point out four cons, if you will, four things that if you don't practice being mindful, what can happen? So the first one is we become overly self-critical of ourselves. And over time, we can get a very distorted self-image, which reduces our confidence, reduces how we feel our self-worth is. So there's an important reason for looking at the positives of self-criticism We want to avoid the distortion. A second con to think about is that if left unchecked, we can also strive to be perfectionists. And there's a book out here. The title is the key here. The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. (laughs) That's intriguing. It is because what the author talks about, I believe, is five different types of perfectionism. I always thought perfectionism was getting it so there were no mistakes, but Mm -hmm. she really identifies behaviors that can happen as a result. And there are five different ways of being a perfectionist. Hmm. So if left unchecked, we get down these rabbit holes that can prevent us from really moving forward in our own goals and achieving them because we get locked into this hamster wheel of thoughts. A third con is when we are not aware of the self-criticism, we can react with a knee-jerk reaction. And that can happen to ourselves and it can happen to other people where we become overly forceful in pointing out the mistakes they've made or looking at the mistakes that we've made. And sometimes in doing that, it can prevent us from achieving the things that we want to achieve. And I'm going to use my own example here. I didn't grow up in high school or college taking Spanish as a foreign language. So I've always wanted to learn it. I still want to learn it. But when I was getting started, it's hard to learn a foreign language as an adult. My tongue doesn't naturally move that way. And even in the studying of it, 
I can say it in my head correctly, but getting out of my mouth, it's almost as though my mouth doesn't want to move that way. And so I get really down on myself for how the pronunciation will come out or how it does come out. And that's the problem with the knee jerk is that in criticizing myself, it just continues to build that I'm not good at this kind of mentality. And that can lead me to trying to do it perfectly. All of these things lead me away from achieving my goal rather than leaning into working to be successful. So you basically talk yourself out of even trying. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Which leads me to number four, that overriding negative emotion of judging myself too harshly. And that feeling over time led to both frustration that I couldn't speak. I was practicing, 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 but I just couldn't naturally do it, which then would get angry because is it worth it? I'm spending this money. I'm spending this time. I'm not making progress, even though I was. Over time, negative emotions can get stirred up of shame, guilt, sadness, disappointment, and sometimes even hopelessness because you feel like I'm never going to get there. So you have this feeling of why even bother? Well, after that list of all the things <laughs> that your inner critic can do to like tear you down, it's no wonder that the general consensus is that negative self-talk is destructive and why the automatic assumption is that you need to shut it up because it certainly can be destructive. But there's a positive and I'm going to share four positive aspects of our inner critic that many people might not be aware of because people really just don't talk about it. And this happens when we listen to the inner critic as you're talking about mindfully and non-judgmentally. And that's why we were bringing up mindfulness and looking at things without judgment. Because when you do that, when you listen to the inner critic mindfully and without judgment, it can, number one, offer information about what went wrong. And number two, make you aware of how you can improve. Mm -hmm. For example, you gave a sales presentation. And when it was done, you said, oh my goodness, I sucked at this. I did. It was horrible. My PowerPoint sucked. And I could tell that you just having to get up back in the saddle kind of thing was just something I don't think you were ready to even think about. But then you were able to stand back, mindfully observe those thoughts without judgment and ask, why is it you're breeding yourself up? Why is it you're thinking this way? And that's when you can pinpoint it. Well, in my exact situation, I had given a sales presentation. It was the first time I was doing the pitch. And in the moment, I was feeling okay about the whole process. I was like in the zone. And afterwards, my inner critic started. And then I was rehashing my notes. And I was rehashing the story that I told. And the more that I was rehashing, Mm -hmm. it was getting worse and worse and worse. And I think I spoke to my husband about it and I spoke to you about it. And I was really self-conscious. And as much as I believe in the product that I'm trying to sell, that negative self-talk came up and I really wondered if it was worth it. And I was very fearful thinking, I'm not going to be good at this. The business isn't going to succeed. And I'm rehashing all of this with you. And you really were able to observe and ask me questions that 
help me to also not bring in that self-judgment along the way and look for the tangible things that I was seeing. You helped me reframe it. And that's where you were able to apply number two, which is to let that self-awareness of what went wrong help you determine how you can improve. So you can decide to rehearse more, you could practice on video, you could practice with somebody else, you can have someone improve the slide deck. I think you talked Mm -hmm. about hiring somebody to really make it pop. But the whole point is now, instead of having this nebulous voice saying you suck, (laughs) you actually identified what needed to be improved and identified actionable steps to take to improve. And these are all things you may not have been able to do had you not mindfully stepped back and listened to that inner critic and what that was saying without judgment. Exactly. Which I think helps when you're just getting started, listener. If you can't do that for yourself, then share that concern with a friend who will talk to you with compassion and help (laughs) kind of pull all the that out. I really credit you for helping me shift that, get out of my own head and get out of my own way and look at the things that I could do to build the courage to do it again. And really what it comes down to is you can't make those changes until you do it and you can't improve upon it until you continue to do it. Well, what are friends for? But you can be your own friend, even if you don't have somebody to bounce it off of. That does lead us to the third benefit of an inner critic once you're following those kinds of steps. And that is it can help us set realistic goals. Like the operative word here is realistic. So maybe the next time you have a sales presentation, it may not go as planned, but that does not mean it wasn't successful. Mm -hmm. For example, suppose the next time you make that presentation, you still find yourself, let's say, saying ums and ahs, or maybe you're not quite happy with your slide deck or whatever. Your inner critic will point this out, but you can reframe that chatter and mindfully recognize that, hey, I have gotten a lot better. You can evaluate what still does need work, or you might just grant yourself grace, decide, you know what, this was good enough and then choose to focus on another goal altogether. I agree with you. Which leads us to step number four, the positive aspect of your inner critic is it gives us an opportunity to practice self-compassion. So just giving that whole thing of granting yourself grace, knowing it's okay, you're not going to be perfect. But you know what, I'm going to insert a hint here, because When you are assuming that you suck and that you screwed this up, you think your inner critic is shining the spotlight on these flaws and you assume that they are glaring for everybody else as well. Well, I'll tell you 99.9999% of the time, you're the only one seeing those glaring flaws. Most people are not even noticing it. You have a lot of room to grant yourself grace. Good point. Now we're going to talk about the how you grant yourself grace, if you will. And the operative word here is practice. Step number one is practicing mindfulness. Now, I myself use mindfulness meditation. Other people might incorporate mindfulness in a different way, but research has shown that when we practice mindfulness, even on a semi-regular basis, it allows us to develop what is called 
meta-awareness. And this is where we become aware of what we're doing. We slow down the thought processes in our head and we become aware of instead of those thoughts just zooming by and we can't tap into them, we're the observer of that. And it's that mindfulness practice over time that can make that become easier and easier. And actually, that relates to step number two, to turn your negative self-talk into a positive. And we've alluded to it earlier, practicing self-compassion. And you do that with reframing. Try changing your inner dialogue from the first person to the third person. That's a tip here. When you do that, it feels like you're really responding to a friend. So when you're talking back to that voice, as if you're responding to a friend that really needs your compassion, which reminds me of our episode 75 with our guest, Michelle Molitor, who talked about imposter syndrome. She refers to her inner critic as Amy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is like a nod to the fact that this lizard reptilian brain that is the source of our inner critic is called the amygdala, A-M-Y, amygdala. And that's a part of the brain that tries to protect you from a tiger. So it's telling you, don't do this, don't do that. About to get eaten by a tiger, stupid. (laughs) Right. Now, we don't have a tiger running around in our cities, but when our brain functioning was in early stages... We had that inner critic or the amygdala was there to protect us against danger because we don't have those life-threatening things happening all the time. Our brain has evolved, but that amygdala part of ourself is still Mm -hmm. there. And that's that unconscious part that can come up. So labeling it when Michelle was talking about it from imposter syndrome, she was really hitting on some key points in there. Yes, she would respond to that inner critic who was telling her how stupid she was for whatever. And she would just turn around with compassion and say, well, thank you, Amy. But you know what? I've got this. It's okay. And she may even rephrase the problem to like, you know, I know exactly what's happening. So thank you for your concern, but I've got this. And that leads to step number three, which is looking for actual evidence. Often we have this whole dialogue that goes on in our head and there's no evidence to support that. For example, when I'm really in my head concentrating and thinking, I can have what's been laughingly referred to as resting bitch face. (laughs) (laughs) But if you don't know me or you don't know that I'm in my head thinking, you might actually think that that serious look is just that, being Mm -hmm. serious or being concerned about something. If you didn't ask, is something bothering you? and just assumed that I was angry, you were interpreting, you would make a judgment. So when you're looking for actual evidence, oh, Lori, are you in your head thinking again? Or is there something you want to talk about? Now you're putting it out there and I have a chance to respond. Mm -hmm. So if there's no evidence, you want to use your inner critic in the same way that you would talk to a friend, clarifying. That's right. So what you would do is say, Okay, is that really true? Mm-hmm. What evidence is there to support that? They're probably, like I said earlier, not even thinking about you. It's really you're not the center of their universe. <laughs> so when you're by yourself, one of the techniques I learned and I actually use is when the negative conversations are just flying by in my brain and I catch one, I just ask, what is a thought? 
So I know I'm thinking and that interrupts that highway of negativity and makes me recognize in a mindful way that I am moving from not aware to aware and the negative kind of dissipates because I've removed myself from being in it to being an observer of it. Very good. Well, the fourth way is to identify your strengths. For example, let's say your inner chatter is super harsh. Let's say you have thoughts such as, I'm ugly. I see a wrinkle. I'm getting old. Looking in the mirror in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's not go there. Or I am so not good enough for this job or whatever, you know, that imposter syndrome. Well, again, this is a reframe. Ask yourself, are these thoughts serving a real purpose for me? Are they helping me achieve my goals or are they just making me feel worse about myself? So try again, replacing and reframing those negative comments with a focus on the things you do well or you're good at or the positive aspects of yourself. So yes, let's say I'm in the mirror in the morning and I see a wrinkle and I start to think, oh, I'm getting so old. Well, I can reframe that with, yes, I am aging. But you know what? With this wrinkle, you could certainly tell I've been laughing. I have a really dynamite laugh. (laughs) I love that. I heard and a great example, which is it would be weird to be at this age and not have any lines on my face. I'm not a teenager. True. <laughs> right? Yeah. When you do see it, you just know that this person must be really vain. <laughs> Sorry, I probably should not say that. <laughs> Well, I think being vain is okay. I like the statement, I'm aging gracefully. Yeah, yeah. And if you're really checking or becoming aware, is there any evidence or looking at the strength of yourself, you're able to say, oh, I'm taking good care of myself. I'm Mm -hmm. in good shape. I'm aging gracefully. It's natural to have lines on your face as you grow older. That's part of the evidence that's there, but that's not the sole focus. Yeah. When you're just looking at the wrinkle, you've narrowed your view. When you said, I have a magnetic laugh, it means that your face lights up when you're laughing. Yes, your wrinkle shows up, which would be normal. Mm-hmm. And when you laugh, it envelops other people and they get in on the joke and they laugh with you and everybody's having a good time. So you're, again, turning that negative into a positive, which leads me to number five, know thyself. Remember, your thoughts are constant, but that doesn't make them accurate or even our own. So noticing what those thoughts are and where they come from can really help you turn a negative into a positive. And I'm going to share something very personal, which is when I was a teenager and my body was starting to take shape, my family teased me. My perception is they were relentless on pointing out that my hips were taking shape. And that focus ended up with me becoming very self-conscious around the lower half of my body and my butt. And when I would try on clothes, my eyes automatically would go to that lower region. That's how much of a trigger it would be for me. So knowing that I didn't own that, I didn't 
come up with it. It was given to me and I took ownership of it. Mm -hmm. So when I get to that negative Nancy coming up, or it could be Stacy, who's self-critical, if if you (laughs) think about it from that way, I just say, welcome to the party. Another way to interrupt the thought, hey, negative Nancy or self-critical Sarah, (laughs) welcome to my party. And I can now turn that around and recognize that I don't have to focus on that one spot and bring all of my attention to it, I can recognize that there are other things that I can do. So it's not that I'm denying that that self-criticism is there. I'm doing something about it by focusing on the things that I can change, which is I can bring a style, a flair, a uniqueness to what it is that, in this case, clothing or the outfit that I'm going to wear. It's a great example. So we know that while our five steps that we just talked about are pretty clear and easy to understand, we know they're much harder to implement. Oh, yeah. And that's okay (laughs) because it gives you an opportunity to practice that self-compassion immediately. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And be realistic. Change doesn't happen overnight, but it can happen with time. And like Lori just pointed out, one minute, one minute a day or even every other day or on a semi-regular basis, it can happen with time, patience, and being willing to tolerate discomfort. And you'll find that the benefits to your success on a personal and professional level are much greater when you engage in this meaningful work. So, so true. It's our hope, listener, that this episode inspires you to be kinder and more loving and more compassionate to yourself, especially as you venture out into the world of entrepreneurship. And remember, starting a business comes with its own set of challenges. So take time to determine if the risks as well as the rewards are right for you. Just don't let your analysis become your paralysis. Now, listeners, be sure to stick around to the very end of this podcast because we have a fun little surprise for you. If you found the information we've shared helpful and you want more tools, tips, and inspiration delivered to your inbox, sign up for News You Can Use over on our website at stickybrandlab.com. Be sure to come back next Tuesday and every Tuesday for another informative, inspiring, and motivating episode. And remember, actions create results. So tap into your desire to create a business and brand you love by taking 1% action every day. Small steps, big effects. I was going to say purposefully. Um, isn't... Uh, I don't know what word I want to use. <laughs> it's not perfect. It's not perfectly symmetrical. That's what I was going to say.